Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to go back and just read a little bit from verse, starting from verse 1, just so that we, we get the context. Acts 15 verse 1, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither we nor our, father, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, not in through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way as they, are, as, as they also are. And all the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay, so remember the issue at hand is the, circumci the circumcision of the Gentiles. And some people had been teaching that the Gentiles had to come under this practice in order to be saved. And in that first verse of verse 1, it says, you cannot be saved, they were teaching. And remember, we really don't know. The Bible talks about the requirements for salvation, and we saw that last time in Romans 10, uh, verse, verse 9, how it's belief, if we, we believe in our hearts that God has risen from the dead, that Jesus has risen from the dead, and we're willing to testify with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. I was in the barber shop a few weeks ago, and, and this woman was cutting my hair, and she was talking with the other barber there, and, and uh, she said, oh, you know, so-and-so died. Boy, I bet he's burning in hell right now. And, and they were talking about this guy. Apparently, he was a really bad guy. He was a drug dealer or something. And, and um, she said, don't you think he's in hell burning? I said, I have no idea who goes to hell. That's not my call. I have no idea. That's up to God. She looked at me, she says, yeah, you're right. Who knows, maybe he accepted Jesus right there just before he died. And so I, that's really, I have no idea who's going to hell and who's not going to hell. That's up to God. But this is what they were teaching. They were saying, you cannot be saved without this. And then it says in verse, in verse uh, um, 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So the first people to speak 
were the sect of the Pharisees, and they were emphatic about this. It says that they had to be circumcised, and they had now, it's not just circumcision. Circumcision was the requirement. Now it's circumcision, and they have to observe the law of Moses. So you see what I mean. First they set this threshold at circumcision, but that's not enough. Now it's also they have to observe the law of Moses, just like we do. The pain that we go through, we want them to go through too. Because if they don't go through the pain that we go through, then they obviously can't be saved because we're going through this pain. And it says in verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. So again, look at the leadership of the church. It's going from the apostles to now the elders. The transition is occurring. And so they're all listening. And then it says in verse 7, after there had been much debate. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to see, how does God speak? How does God speak to us today? Even in biblical times, did He always speak by having some sovereign great voice saying, no, they don't have to be circumcised. They are saved. I mean, that certainly would have settled the issue, wouldn't it have? You know, if that, if that church building or wherever they met started shaking and the building started collapsing around them and they're all crying out for mercy and then the voice of God, God comes. That would have been quite clear, wouldn't it have been? And sometimes we want that. We'd want some real clarity. But what we're going to see is the way God speaks. And this is, we're seeing this transition, we're seeing the way He generally speaks. He doesn't often speak in an audible voice. I've been walking with God for 30 years. I have never heard an audible voice from God. I've heard God speak on many occasions, never audibly. He speaks to me through the Scriptures. He speaks to me through other people. He speaks to me through circumstances. And so we're going to see that very thing happen. And this is a big problem. A lot of, a lot of hassles being caused in the church right now. In verse 7, after there had been much debate, so a lot had gone on, so Peter kept his mouth shut that whole time. I am just like the Pharisees, the sect of the Pharisees. I want to be the first to say the issue. I want to be the first to come out with it. But you see, these men of God were actually the last ones to speak. Peter, who was, in many, many people's view, the lead apostle here, he was not speaking first. He waited till all the debate was done. And then he started speaking. After there had been much debate in verse 7, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did also to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So what He's saying is He's saying, it was by My mouth. Remember, Jesus had told Peter, you hold the keys. Peter opened the preaching of the Gospel first to the Jews in Jerusalem, then He opened the preaching of the Gospel to the Samaritans, and then He opened it to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, he opened it to the Gentiles. And if we turn back to Acts chapter 10, we see his preaching to Cornelius. 
God had spoken to Peter repeatedly that what he has cleansed, let no man call unclean. And then he said, I'm going to take you and men are going to lead you someplace and I want you to preach the gospel to them. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you see that twice we read in verse 45, it says the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles. And then again, in verse, in verse 47, Peter says, look, they've received the Holy Spirit. They received it. God knew that those men in that room were not circumcised. God knew that. Yet He dropped the Holy Spirit on them. They didn't ask for it. They just heard the message. They believed. The Holy Spirit fell. And remember, when Peter went back to Jerusalem, he got in a lot of trouble for this, for preaching to the Gentiles. And in in chapter 11, it says, in verse 17 of Acts chapter 11, verse 17, Therefore, if God gave them the same gift that He gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So again, he underscores the fact that they had been given the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's referring to now in Acts chapter, chapter 15. He says, by my mouth, I saw it with my own eyes. I was speaking, they believed, they received the Holy Spirit. Synonymous with receiving the Holy Spirit was salvation. That was synonymous with receiving the Holy Spirit. So he says, the issue is done for me, guys. I saw it with my own eyes. God visited them with the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 10, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now Peter comes clean here. Peter says, I couldn't live under the law either. I couldn't bear it. I'm free from it. Why do you want to put them back under it? Remember, the pain that we're straddled with, we want everyone else to feel that pain. Peter says, just leave them alone. Let them rejoice. Why burden them with what you're burdened with? Verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. And all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So look at the sequence here. It was first the Pharisees that stood up and vented all their frustrations. And after there had been great debate, then way at the end, Peter stands up. And then Paul and Barnabas start giving testimony as to what God had done. And last of all, now comes James. James was actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James James was an apostle. This is not the disciple James. The disciple James had been killed earlier on in, in this book, as we had read. And, and uh, now, now this is James, the brother of the Lord. So James, the brother of the Lord, it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus had appeared to him. 
And so he had believed also. And now he's the leader of the church. And the leader's speaking last. And this is actually Jewish tradition where the high priest would always speak last in the court cases. And here the leader's speaking last and he's summarizing his whole view. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 15. After they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. So he waited till everybody was done. It says, after they had stopped speaking. Everybody who wanted to speak said their piece. And then James spoke. I need to be more like James. This guy waited till everyone else was done. Then he says, it says, listen to me. Uh, Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. So here he's using this Aramaic Jewish name. He knows Peter very well. So he says, look, this is Simeon. He doesn't even uh, use, use a, 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 a Gentile name for him, which, which, every, which the Jews had at that time. So he uses this name, Simeon. And he says that, that uh, um, he says he related first concerning himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So what does he do? He says, look, we heard a testimony from Simeon, from Simon Peter, about how the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles. This matches up with what the Scriptures prophesy, what the Scriptures talk about. The Scriptures talk about how God is going to visit the Gentiles. He didn't pull this out of thin air. How does God speak? We can say, well, I feel God saying this. Well, he may be saying that, but does that, this that you heard, match up with Scripture? This is how we begin to hear God's voice. God is telling me to have this affair. Okay, are you sure about that? Could you show me in Scripture where he's encouraged anyone in Scripture to have an affair? You're going to be looking a long time because it's not there. So what, what James does is he says, okay, we have, we, we have something that has happened where God obviously, knowing that these people were not circumcised, He visited them with the Holy Spirit. He spoke to Peter and we all acknowledged it at that time and we said, oh, very well then, the Gentiles have received the Lord. Now, what we see is we see that this testimony actually matches up with the scriptures that we have. And he's talking about, he's quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. He says, the prophets talked about this, that the Gentiles would come to know too. So that time has come upon us. So one of the ways we check is, is what we experienced authentically good from God's perspective is, does it match up with scripture? This is the way God speaks. He speaks through scripture. He was speaking through some authority here, through Peter. 
Then he says in verse 19, Therefore, it is my judgment. So here's James speaking. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they should abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and to the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having begun, become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our brethren, the beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from the things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, free from, from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So they were sent away and they went down to Antioch and having gathered the whole congregation together, they delivered the letter. So, what did James do? He says... Look, I've heard all of this. I've heard all the testimony. What matches up with Scripture is the testimony that the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to observe the law of Moses. And he says, so it's my judgment that we just write them a letter. And that in writing the letter, we tell them to do a few things. One of the things is that they abstain from things contaminated by idols. Now, all of these are optional things in the Scripture. So, in other words, we are free to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. That, it tells us that in the epistles. We don't have to worry, you know, the meat... Because it says that if it was offered up to an idol, you didn't offer it up. I mean, because a lot of meat in the, in the marketplaces in those days were offered up to idols and then they'd sell it in the marketplaces. You just don't worry about it. He says, but if somebody should tell you that, oh, specifically, this meat has been offered up to an idol... Don't eat it, not because the meat will hurt you, but because of your witness to this person. Because it might offend the weaker brother. So then, don't eat meat. He says, if eating meat that's sacrificed to idols offends your brother, then don't eat it. Then he says, refrain, he says, from fornication. Now, fornication is always wrong. The scriptures teach us in the epistles, it is always wrong. And fornication meant any type of... Of, of sex, it could have been homosexual sex, it could have been uh, 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 bestiality, and it talks about how these are always wrong. So what is he talking about? And it, it talks about sex outside of marriage, extramarital sex. So what is he talking about? Fornication is always wrong, but there was a practice in those days of people marrying their sisters, their close relatives. This was a practice in those days. He says, refrain from that. So everything he's saying here is something that was particularly offensive to the Jews. He says, refrain from the fornication, those practices that you have, from what is strangled and from blood. So in other words, make sure that you don't eat 
animals that are strangled to death, make sure that they had had the blood drained, and don't eat blood. We, we are told in the epistles, it's not the blood that's going to hurt us, per se. It's not the food that's going to hurt us. And there are cultures today. So if you go to Germany, you have something called head cheese. It's this, uh, it's this blood, this, uh, uh, this, this meat mixed with blood. It's a very common thing, actually, in Germany. This doesn't defile a person doesn't make a person bad in God's eyes. It may gross you out, but it doesn't defile a person. You get somebody from Israel here, or somebody from Saudi Arabia, and they see you eating breakfast tacos with, with, with sausage in it, they are grossed out. But it doesn't defile you. This is what he's saying. He says, and we know the context, he says, because in verse 21, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So in other words, you are right alongside Jews in your town. If this is going to be offensive to them, then refrain from it. We don't want to cause them an offense. But you do not have to go so far as to get circumcised. You can do things to keep from offending them. But you don't have to go ahead and get circumcised and start living under their law. Look at how God speaks. God speaks through the counselors. Through counsels, because he says, he says in verse 22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them to send to Antioch. So, the apostles agreed, the elders agreed, and the whole church. So, in other words, the Judaizers abstained from this. They abstained from this vote. Because we see later on that they were still preaching the same thing. But look what then... James writes in this letter, it says in verse 25, it seemed good to us. It seemed good to us. And then he says, he says further on down in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. So what seemed good to James seemed good to the Holy Spirit. So you see, there was no big, great voice here, but they discerned what the Spirit was saying. It seems good to the Holy Spirit that this is what should be done. Because we, we had counsel about it, and so through this they were recalling incidences through which God was speaking. They appealed to Scripture. They looked and they said, what did the Scripture say? And then they appealed to the peace among the brethren. The vast majority of brethren in that fellowship agreed and had peace with that decision. So there was a peace among them. And then God speaks through the body of Christ in the local church. God speaks through counselors, the body of Christ in the local church. Let me drive home what that means to me and you today. Because I know the issue of circumcision or not circumcision is not an issue to us today. So how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Let me give you an example that will help you. They appealed to the local body of Christ. They appealed to the body of Christ for help and for counsel. This is what they did. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it talks about something related to this. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, When there is no, no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. In abundance of counselors, there is victory. 
That's in Proverbs 11.14. In abundance of counselors, there is victory. So they were open to counsel. They were open to the body of Christ. If we are open to the body of Christ, it will affect our decisions and the way we live. Let me tell you something where I submitted to the body of Christ and it has helped me tremendously in my married life. I prayed for, you know, I said, Lord, would you please lead the right person into my life to marry? I was like every young man and every Christian woman I saw, I kind of wondered, is this the one? And I prayed, Lord, you open up the door for the right one. And when I started having these thoughts about Shireen, she was this beautiful young lady and the prettiest girl in the church and she had this nice... But in my heart I was wondering, could this be right? You know, could it be right? You know, it might be wrong. It might just be purely wrong to be thinking like this. And I prayed. Months I prayed I would get along. Lord, if this is not of you, please take this feeling out of my heart. But if it's of you, cause it to increase. And then when I could take it no longer, I had shared with her and the, the church, and I submitted this to the church. And I shared with my pastor, and I said, look... I don't know what's right here. He says, I don't know either, but we'll pray with you. And he said, let's pray for six months and discern the will of God. Let's pray for six months and discern the will of God. And I wasn't going out with her and dating and trying things out. And after six months, and I had told the leadership of that church, if you're, you're, we're not all in agreement about this, let's not go through with it. And then after six months, everybody was in agreement except the associate pastor. And I respected that man tremendously. And I said, okay, we won't, we won't follow through with this. And the pastor said, well, wait a minute. Either we're hearing right or he's hearing right. So let's pray for another six months before you ever seek engagement. And we did. And you know what's happened is in my marriage, I had such confirmation from people around me in the body of Christ that I respected that through all the problems in my marriage that we've had, and we've had our share of problems, and we've been to counselors, our share of counselors, I have never questioned whether I had made the right decision concerning the things of God in this matter. Never. And I'll tell you, because I counsel many young people, many young Christian couples, is they lots of times wonder, Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we married and we shouldn't have married. Maybe it was never God's will for us to marry. I'll tell you, I never had that problem because of the submission to the local body of Christ. These people viewed the church important enough in their lives that they wanted to submit this matter, these people in Antioch, to the church in Jerusalem to say, Jerusalem decide on our behalf. We really respect you guys. You're not conflicted in this issue. We respect you guys. We want to hear what you have to say. And I'll tell you a lot of times when I don't want to hear counsel. When I don't want to hear counsel, it's often because I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to risk being told, this is not what you should do. So I don't want to hear it. Does that ever happen to you? This happens a lot to young people. They don't want to submit the decision of marriage to another party, to a third party, for fear that the third party is going to say, uh-uh, this is wrong. 
And then you live with the, that decision. But if it's of God, He calls it together. They trusted this group of people enough. And it's not like, you know, the church, we make decisions who marries who. Not at all. I mean, anytime you come to them, they're like, oh boy, I mean, this is a big one. But I deeply respect young people who do this. There's a, a young lady out on the mission field. She was in this class for many years when she was in, this, in, in school. She went out on the mission field. She met a guy. And she emailed me. She says, Dr. Tour, I want you to talk to this guy and find out, is this guy all right? Because there had been a guy before this, this nice guy, who had kind of appealed to her. This was a good guy. He had come to the church and she told me about him. And I just asked a few questions. I said, has he ever been married before? She said, I don't think so. I said, oh, okay, well, why don't you ask her? I said, does he, does he have children? I don't think so. I said, well, why don't you ask her? Well, she did. She said, you know, Dr. Tour wanted me to ask you a question, have you ever been married before? And the guy went ballistic. First of all, who is Dr. Tour to be asking such things? And then it turns out, well, yeah, he had, but the marriage had been annulled. And I didn't know what annulled marriage was. So I went to a lawyer friend of mine. I said, what does annulment mean? He says, you get an annulment, a legal annulment, when there's been fraud in the marriage. I said, so in other words, if he had been married before, but he didn't tell his, his, this woman he was marrying he'd been married before, he says, no, that's just a lie. That you can't get an annulment for your marriage for that. An annulment means that he, he is married to somebody and then he marries a second person. The second person can get that marriage annulled because the guy wasn't legally able to be married. You see what I mean? That's what an annulment is. So, whatever the context, it didn't sound good. And then, you know, we find out what city he's from. You know, you Google the guy and you see that he has this record. I mean, all of this stuff started coming out. So, she really trusted me after this. And I just asked the guy a couple of questions. So she wanted me to probe the second guy. And this guy's a missionary. So I said, okay, have him call me. So I asked him some really hard questions. Because I wanted to see, was he going to run? I wanted to see what he was made of. And if, if I, it, it's kind of embarrassing what I asked him. But I asked him, I said, have you ever been married before? No. Uh, do you have any children? Because remember, you don't have to be married to have children. Do you have any children? No. I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, this young lady is, is very interested in you, and I just want to learn something about you. Have you ever slept with a woman in the last two years? He said, no. I said, have you ever had sex with a man? He said, no. I said, when, have you ever looked at pornography or sought it out in the last two years? He said, no, I haven't. I said, now tell me about your life. You know, some guys would just run from this. But this guy, I got done talking with him for about 25 minutes. This guy was tremendous. And I said, now tell me about how you came to faith. Tell me about your relationship with God. And, and uh, um, when I got done with him, I emailed this girl. I said, you have my blessing. This guy is a treasure, an absolute treasure. I could even tell just by the way he responded that this guy was a magnificent guy. And she respected me enough. But not only that, 
she had sat through these teachings in this class. She wanted the blessing also of the pastor and of Chad, who heads up the, 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 the mission outreaches from this church. And I got with Pastor and, and with Chad and, and, and with Roger. She wanted Roger's blessing. And I told the three of them the questions I had asked this young man and his responses. And they said, she's good to go. We're fine with this guy. If he went through that... And he just kept his cool and was calm and polite through the whole thing. This guy's an amazing guy. And it turns out he's really a treasure. And this girl to me is like a daughter to me. And I wanted the very best for her. And you see, she will never wonder, maybe I married the wrong guy. But she respected me enough. And I'm not asking you to submit this to me. Submit it to Roger. Go to somebody else. I've got enough to do in my life. Not, it's not because I want to screen all these people. It's not fun for me to ask people these questions. You know, I, I would much rather have been sitting in my office doing chemistry. It's a lot simpler, a lot, you know, you know, it never talks back to me, it never gets upset. Chemistry is my friend. But I had to deal with this because this person was important to me. Look in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And you, you see an incident concerning Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. So you had David, then Solomon, then Rehoboam. So Rehoboam was the third king of all of Israel. Now Solomon, if you've read about him, you will find out that though he was a great man of wisdom, he was a very, very hard taskmaster. Drove people very hard in life. But he also had a very heavy hand. He was, because of his wisdom, he could maintain control. But it was abusive control because he had to exact large taxes for his lavish lifestyle of having 700 wives and 300 concubines. You know, I had one wife and cost a lot of money. <laughs> it does. I mean, you know, you get four kids and all of this stuff and it, it's costly. If I had a thousand wives, I mean, I'd, there'd be nothing left. I mean, that's it. It, it. This man had a thousand wives. It's tough to keep up with, so he exacted a huge amount of taxes. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 1. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem and to make him king. Now when Rehoboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. And so that, now, so that you know, let me just mention that Jeroboam had worked for Solomon and was a very devoted worker, but Solomon was threatened by him and, and was going to kill him, so he had to run away. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you. Then he said to them, depart from me for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father, Solomon, while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer the people? They spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to his, this people today, and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, they will be your servant forever. They will be your servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which he, they had given him, and he consulted with the young men who grew up with him and had, ser and had served him. 
So he said to them, What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us. But you shall speak to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I will discipline you with scorpions. Then Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed him, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word which the Lord had spoken through Ahiah, the Shalonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look to your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. Okay, so, and then what happened with this? There were 12 tribes. Ten of the 12 tribes separated, and he was no longer king over them. And they rebelled against him. And he was only king now over David and a portion of Benjamin. And you say, well, he had no choice. Oh, he had a choice. Whatever we see in Scripture, yeah, this thing was prophesied that it would happen. But if a man humbled himself, God would always retract and say, okay, in your day it won't happen. So this man was counseled by the elders. He said, you know, your father was really quite hard. We worked for him. If you lighten the load on these people and just speak a gentle word to them, just a gentle word, your father really drove them hard. And you be a servant to them and say, I'll serve you as king. As king, I will be your servant and look out for your welfare. They said, they'll serve you. They'll honor you. But he didn't accept their counsel. He said, let me, let me go talk to my beer drinking buddies. Let me hear what they have to say. And his beer drinking buddies said, oh, be harder on them. Your father was hard. You be harder. I look to people I deeply respect in leadership for counsel. Because I want counsel where people are separated from, from these problems a bit. And that I can look to and aren't afraid to speak to me the hard word. This man lost ten and a half of the kingdoms of Israel and Israel was divided now. And then you, after this point you hear of the northern kingdom and then there was the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was under Rehoboam. And those were then the, the, kings, the, the kings of Judah, it was called, as opposed to the kings of Israel, which had the northern kingdom. It happened under this man's watch because he wouldn't listen to counsel. Nobody wants to force anything on anyone. There is no dictatorial leadership that wants control of your life. Not at all. It is that, will I submit my life to the counsel of another. That another is God, but because I have trouble hearing God, because I can hear whatever I want to hear, I really can. If I want to hear God say something, I can hear it in my own mind's eye. Mind's eye. Just, yeah, God is here saying that. Go around the corner and you shall find a parking space. You know, I can hear whatever I want. I really can. I don't know if this has happened to you. 
and go around the corner and there is no parking space. And God uses that to train me to see, say, you know, you don't always hear me. So, I submit my life to this book. Because this book, like no other book, speaks to me and I go, gulp. Wow. I'm not like that at all. I need to be like it says to be like. Because if I'm not, the book also tells me what the ramifications are of the decisions. What the ramifications are of a man who has an affair. As I read through the book of Proverbs, and I read a proverb, read through the book of Proverbs every month, I read through this. And, and, and I see it again and again and again. It says, if you do this, you will never, never recover. If you do this, you will be shamed forever and another man will be spending your wealth. If you do this. And I say, Lord, keep me from ever doing that. It is this book that does it. I submit my life to this book. Then I submit my life to counselors, to men I respect. And you know what happens in my life, and I'll I'll reveal something, is you move up and up and there's fewer and fewer people that will speak the hard word to you. Because they feel like, hey, you know, this guy knows more of the Bible than I do. And so you, you have fewer and fewer people in your life that will speak into your life. And I have to go to people and appeal to them and say, hey, I really respect you. I want you to speak the hard word in my life because there's not enough people there to do this. They never say anything to me. There's only a few people that I can go to that I can trust are going to speak the hard word. You want me to speak the hard word in your life? No problem. I'll do it. This is no problem for me. But I'm telling you, you get, you get certain titles after your name. And you get fewer and few pe- fewer people that will speak into your life. Once you get your degree, people are going to say, hey, you know a lot. And they're going to be less prone to speak into your life. That, to me, is a problem. I don't want that. I want people speaking into my life. I need that. Because God speaks to us through counselors. God spoke to them through the local body of Christ. The local body of Christ is a treasure to me. You know, I got, a, I got an email the other day from my son's basketball coach. Playing right here in this gymnasium, upward basketball, this basketball coach, this, this referee was praising my son because the referee called the ball out on another guy. And my son said to the referee, it was out on me. And this referee was saying, your son understands what upward upward basketball is about. It's about honesty, not just about winning. And he says, even when a guy on his team had said to him, you shouldn't have said that. He said, no, I had to tell him that. And then that referee had copied the coach. And the coach started praising my son what a great kid he was. And I emailed them both back. I said, thank you for investing your lives into my son because you coach my son and you referee his games and you don't get paid for this. And you pour your life into my son. And I said, this is what the church does. And my shame is that I only give a tithe to my local church because what I get back from my local church is much more than 10% of my salary because of the treasures that they place in each one of my children. The things that they do in my life, the way the pastor speaks into my life every Sunday, is much worth much more to me than 10% of my income. I said the shame of the whole thing is, is that I only give 10%. 
what I get back is many times over from the body of Christ putting into my life, into my wife's life, into my family's life, teaching them so many things. My kids can do a hundred things that I could never do. In art, in music, in drama, in playing the drums, in all of these things that I never taught them. I never knew this. They learned it in the body of Christ. And it's to this body that I submit my life. Because I need to hear from God. And they witness God into my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Scripture. And I pray for these young people that you keep them seeking you, seeking your face, and walking your way. Father, I pray that out of submission, they would submit their lives to others, to counselors, to the body of Christ, to the Word of God. That they would not harden their hearts and say, I don't want to hear a negative word about my decision. But that they would soften their hearts and submit to you and your way and good counsel for their lives, for their relationships. Father, your mercy and your grace abound, I pray, and your blessing in their lives. Let them be different, I pray, because of today's message. And so that throughout their lives, as big decisions come, that they would remember back to this day and submit to you and your counsel. In the name of Jesus, amen.